0: Come on and spend time
1: with Joe's
0: people Just like a near the old cathedral I'm so glad I'm one of Joe's people And we'll have a lot of laughs Be closer to the Lord Just chill out now with Joe's people Ladies and gentlemen of the World Wide Interwebs Good evening, and welcome to Joe's People. It's a Catholic podcast, but it's not totally lame. Tonight, on The Big Show, Joe welcomes his good friend, Lizzie Dunn, as co-host, a banter about Joe's ancestry, Lizzie's nursing career, Sean Connery. Also, Joe makes a shameless plug on his new website and store the discerning Catholic with quality Catholic products at very reasonable prices. Then they're joined by their friend Mary Scarpati, who has her own YouTube channel. They talk about being a happy Catholic and Mary's health and spiritual journey. And now, the man who makes me a better Catholic, wait, I'm not saying. You're the guy who told the German bishops it seems like we haven't had a really good schism in a long time. Eh, just stick to the script. Uh, And now, the man who makes me a better Catholic, Mr. Joe Geisler!
2: Good morning, Vietnam!
1: Wait, I have to do the uh i have to thank people for the uh thank my my uh, announcer for the intro which okay. uh, that's fine we could start with you though but yeah uh um yeah i always get a i try different announcers i like to uh um, i like to curate my friends as to like who has the best announcer voice and then get them to do it so uh, I'm thinking I'll have my buddy david do it he has a good uh he's got a good announcer voice so but – I've had many many various announcers in the past, though some are some are better than others. So they they have a script they got to follow, and you know some follow it, and some don't.
2: So it's like the intro, or
1: yeah, we do an intro, yeah, and then I act like the band is here. That was an awesome that was an awesome uh, play by the band of the the theme song. So it's my my friend Katie Holmes or Katie Shore now. Uh, we co wrote the theme song, and oh uh, cool. Her name used to be uh, used to be Katie Holmes and she got married and it's Katie Shore now but um I had a friend who said uh oh you know Katie Holmes and yeah I'm like yeah she goes like the real Katie Holmes and I'm she like
2: finally escaped from Tom Cruise
1: well I'm like she's like is that the real Katie Holmes and I'm like, yeah it's the real Katie Holmes and uh <laughs> is, was depending she, on
2: what your definition of real is like yeah. She's not the one that most people care about, but she's pretty special, I guess. <laughs>
1: exactly. And uh she goes, Was she on Dawson's Creek? And I go, I, <laughs> I'm like, Well, maybe. Like, I don't know that she wasn't on Dawson's Creek. <laughs> like she could have been an extra. Or I a, mean,
2: we can't completely rule it out at this point, can
1: we? Yeah, it yeah, could have been like a production assistant. I don't know. I don't know what she does in her spirit. <laughs> yeah, but so so yeah, so uh yeah, we're meeting via Zoom. This is my first podcast. Uh, during... See, I don't normally like to date the podcast as to when I like to keep them timeless. But we are in the middle of the pandemic, so, and who knows, the pandemic could go on for years. So, you know. Uh, yeah,
2: we are timeless, but we are laughing our way through the downfall of the republic.
1: Yeah, it's uh,
2: time.
1: it's kind and of bad, a little
2: pandemic. I'm... It's an election year.
1: Well, yeah, I. Uh... And oddly enough, I'm kind of living my best life, so it's kind of, um, uh, that could be a little misanthropic, but, you know, th- there it is, you know. So. And Joe, uh,
2: the reason I was running late today is because I literally just ate an entire personal pizza to myself.
0: Oh, that's, that's pretty So,
2: sweet. I think I'm living my best life, too.
0: Yeah.
2: And mm-hmm. I think it fittingly uh, um, fits with our, our theme of the show today.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, that's the thing. We'll, we'll talk to uh, – yeah, that brings us to our, our, our good buddy, Mary, Scarpati. And, uh, Scarpati or Scarpati? Scarpati, right?
2: I like to say sir, Scarpati because that, to me, is more Italian, but she hates that. She she prefers Scarpati.
1: Scarpati, huh. You would think that – I like
2: to just go with Scarface sometimes.
1: Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, you would think because it's a single T that it would be like a, a long A, um because it's S T A R P A T I, not P A T T I, but
2: Yeah. We're gonna have to discuss her her Italian roots and her pronunciation. You don't have any Italian, do you?
1: Uh no. Uh
2: what kind of yeah. name is Geisler? Am I saying that right?
1: Uh Geisler, uh yeah it's Geisler. German. Uh
2: German.
1: German and uh my parents are always ambiguous on some things. Uh So they they claim we're German, but then my sister-in-law got into uh, genealogy, and she claims there's a Joseph Geisler, uh, one of our ancestors that's from, uh, I think, a town in Austria.
0: Wow. uh,
1: Some of our relatives claim that there's some Polish descent in there, so it's kind of vague. It's kind of like uh, Grandpa Simpson once said, uh, he was talking about the old country. Mm -hmm. Uh, and he said, I don't remember which country it was, but it was the old <laughs> it was the old country. And people were wearing like he wasn't sure if they were wearing later hosen or just shorts. So it was kinda yeah. like, kinda hard to nail down what, what's going on. So But, uh, but yeah, a, we'll get some, we'll get some there's a,
2: sorry, there's a priest I like to listen to and he uh was talking about he's he's part German and he was saying that they wear leather shorts. With the later hose in some areas so he's like just be grateful that you don't have to dress like in the old days leather yep. shorts can you imagine wearing that in austin
1: Nah, it doesn't sound fun at all so <laughs> i mean you know the dirndl i could i could see you know women wearing the dirndl that you know i could be behind that but you know so but wait
0: what's
2: the dirndl
1: it's a type of dress uh that,
2: oh it's the bar wench dress
1: yeah it's the bar wench dress. <laughs> It's so <laughs> yeah. So
2: it is Halloween, so we might be seeing some later hosen and and Wench dresses out there.
1: Yeah, the uh, every uh, it's like the girl outfits for Halloween always involve naughty, so either naughty angel or naughty devil or naughty nurse,
2: school teacher.
1: Yeah, naughty school teacher. So there's always naughty stuff. Uh, the one thing I, I tip I give to the ladies is don't wear things that have wings um, if you're going anywhere crowded which you shouldn't be anyway this year, but uh, um, like they make the mistake of like wearing wings and going dancing, with like a bad idea, or wearing wings and going to like um, 6th Street and where it's yeah. like they're really packed, and it's like no, wings are a bad idea, just don't do that, so I know you <laughs> want to be an angel, but you know, it's it's not a good idea, so, but uh, okay, so now uh, you're a nurse, right?
2: I am a nurse, my, indeed. My producer
1: told me you're a nurse, yeah, so. And, uh, yeah. and then, but fortunately, you don't have to deal with any of the icky stuff anymore. Mostly- no,
2: because I have a desk job working for the state, so I'm pretty fortunate, honestly. I landed this gig about four and a half years ago, and I just haven't left because it's pretty awesome. And then I was, uh, I was wondering what else I could do, and then I got a promotion, so I was like, here I am to stay for now, so... <laughs>
0: That's pretty sweet.
2: It's, it is a pretty sweet job, um, and I still get to help people. I just do it uh, remotely, and now uh, since the pandemic, I'm working from home a lot. So.
1: Yeah, and uh, you're actually the second nurse I believe who've had on the podcast. So really, yeah, my friend Gina uh, was the first nurse, and um, she actually did a uh, she did a masters in um, I think it was bioethics.
2: Oh wow with
1: the uh, um, National Catholic bioethics Center in washington d c so we ended up talking about she did a paper on uh, when is it um, when is it morally licit to um, harvest organs because wow, yeah it's not clear like the church is pretty clear on the beginning of life but the church isn't that clear on the end of life um, and in general people hadn't really um agreed on that like is it brain death is it when the heart stops when is it okay so and we talked about you know in vitro fertilization and cloning and it was pretty fun so it was an interesting one um,
2: we could wow. always
1: talk public health or something at some point in the- yeah
2: she must have a lot of insight having studied bioethics that's really tough I'm just grateful that I kind of have my little niche and I don't have to worry about being involved in any kind of moral dilemmas for now. But I think that's, that's coming for a lot of nurses.
0: Hmm.
1: That reminds me of uh, um, uh, Steve Martin. He said that uh, it is a movie uh, all of me, where he was a guy who was uh, dealing with Lily Tomlin and she was a, uh, she was an heiress to this fortune and she called him a peasant. And uh, he said, I'm not a peasant just because my father didn't exploit the working man and rape the environment. <laughs> And he said, "It's not that he didn't want to uh, exploit the working man to rape the environment, but it's just that as a barber, he didn't really have the opportunity." Ah,
2: what movie was that?
1: That was called uh, All of Me.
2: All of Me. I haven't yeah. seen that one.
1: It was a. It was not one of his more famous movies, but it was. Pretty-
2: I was always a big fan of Dirty Rotten Scoundrels.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. That was a remake of. Uh, that was a remake from years before so um,
2: speaking oh, oh and they just did a remake which i didn't see the remake but it was an all-female like the the con artists or are, are women it was like anne hathaway and um a rebel wilson oh uh, so i i don't know i kind of wanted to see it but i haven't seen it yet speaking of uh old movies did you hear sean connery died today
1: oh yeah uh that's gonna date the podcast though I don't know. but yeah sean connery <laughs> they um some guy was talking about the accents that he uses in, uh, in movies. He he goes with the Scottish accent and, uh, except, you know, they're like, okay, so in this movie, you're going to play a Russian, uh, you're going to play a Russian sub captain. He's like, okay, I'm going to go with the Scottish accent for that one. And then, uh, what like, was that?
2: The hunt for red October.
1: Yeah. He's a, uh, he's the Russian sub captain with the Scottish accent. So, that was good. And, um, <laughs> and then also, uh, they're like, Okay, now you're going to, um, in this movie, Highlander, uh, everybody's Scottish, and he's like, oh, great. Well, except for you, you're an ancient Egyptian. Okay, I'm going to go with the Scottish accent. On that. <laughs> I mean, a lot of range on his accents, so it's pretty good. But yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. I can
2: try I can try to do my impression of him, but I don't know. That might decrease your listeners, so.
1: Yeah, I don't know if I to go so. Hey, so yeah, so let's see, so we met uh through Young Catholic Professionals, as I recall. Indeed. Yeah, so. And, I'm a, I'm a, well, we
2: have not I'm gotten sorry. together with them in quite a while.
1: Yeah, we get the pandemic, so we don't, uh, the whole point is to, you know, see and be seen. So, um, we haven't been doing, a, and we haven't been doing any in-person things, but we've been doing virtual events, which I haven't actually attended, but.
2: I haven't either, i thought about it, but. Not sure how that's supposed to work.
1: We should explain for those who don't know, Young Catholic Professionals. Uh, it's a, a group started. It's, um, it's not run by the church. It's uh, usually done in cooperation or by the permission of the bishop in the diocese, um, any local chapter. It's a national organization started by Jen Baugh in Dallas. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when it started now, years ago. And... Um, we got our own Austin chapter. I want to say like five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, we started our own our own chapter independent of YCP um, a year or two before that. And then we joined. So um, it's been a good organization. Organized as a five hundred um, one c three. Kind of good. Uh, the I think Jen's very savvy about how she's got it organized. So um,
2: Joe, aren't you on the board?
1: Yeah, I'm on the board.
2: Yeah. So you're like a big shot.
1: No, not really. I just go to meetings and you know, pretty much go to meetings and, uh, we let, we let like all the young people, uh, do all the heavy lifting. So we just show up occasionally and, you know, take credit and make sure things don't go too crazy. So do yeah. big, big picture stuff. So, but, but it's a yeah, good organization. I'd like to give a shout out to them. Uh, oh yeah. So, uh, uh, I should, uh, uh put in my plug for my uh my store well i'm I'm starting up a new brand called the discerning catholic so i love the term discerning because it's something catholics use for just about everything um like and it's a good you know discerning supposed to be like you before you make a decision you pray about it and you pray and you think about it forever and then don't do anything usually so uh, but i like it's great for it's actually a great all-purpose excuse like, hey, are you coming to that volunteer event uh, 8 a.m. Saturday? And be like, oh, I'm going to let me discern about that. Let me just see how that works out. So, or um, <laughs> I found out like when guys leave the seminary, they say they discerned out. Um, they discerned out of the seminary, which I hadn't heard of that term until a couple years ago. But I was like, that's a good term. Like, I, I, I've used that for parties before. Like, I was <laughs> I was going to go, Sometimes but for,
2: discerning out involves getting kicked out.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or, uh, or just like, uh, uh it was going to be lame. So I discerned out. <laughs> it's a good, uh, it's a good term, but, uh, but see the, but to the secular world, discerning means like savvy or like, uh, you know, uh, stroking your chin and being like, is
2: right. That, is that, uh, so that works.
1: Is that piece of glassware good enough for me? You know, so right. it kind of implies that like, it's for high end, uh, High end arts, yeah, Catholics. So, but, but yeah, so we're but gonna then do
2: a... some people, some people are gonna have to discern whether they actually want to buy
1: exactly <laughs> pray, and, pray and discern before you give me your money. So, um, but yeah, I want to do also, um, it kind of came up with the, the, uh, from this idea, um, a couple different sources, but one is the, um, I, I think about like the, um, you know, little towns in, in Italy that have all this Catholic artwork and it's just surrounding them everywhere. And even people that aren't Catholic, they're surrounded by sort of a Catholic world. And then, you know, you walk around the domain and, you know, you, you see, you know, Victoria's secret, scantily clad women everywhere uh, on posters. And I'm like, well, you know, you could just as easily be putting up sacred images in the world rather than just images that don't help in any way. So, or you could put, you could put sacred images on a phone instead of, uh, or phone accessories instead of the Apple icon, which is really an apple with a bite taken out of it that almost seems like an homage to the fall of man.
2: <laughs> so, uh, actually actually—that's uh, a good point. That play, probably plays into some conspiracy theories that I won't get into right now.
1: Yeah, we don't want to. Do <laughs> but yeah, um, so yes, and I thought that um, whatever I can do to get uh, Catholic images out in the world would be a good idea. So, so we're gonna do, um, gonna do like reproductions of artwork. And the beautiful thing is a lot of old Catholic artwork isn't under copyright anymore, so that's kinda nice. And then my buddy Arlen has, uh, he's a photographer, and he's actually, um, he's been selling Catholic images in different forms for a while. Yeah, um, just some of different amazing photos of some of our, um, some of the windows at the cathedral that have sacred images like the Immaculate Heart of Mary Mm -hmm. and the Sacred Heart of Jesus. Um, He also has the Rose Window. He has an amazing photo of the Eucharistic procession we did a couple years ago. We got permission to go inside the state capitol and we did a um, benediction inside the state capitol. So he's got this amazing 360 degree uh, image. It's hanging in the Bishop's Hall at the cathedral, but um, Really awesome image wow uh, of that benediction so um, and he actually uh, uh, he's got a couple different products he sells, so I'm working with Arlen um, uh, one of the cool things he does is this little these little acrylic blocks they're about five feet by or five inches by five inches five feet, uh, five feet would be bad, but um <laughs> they're kind of like paperweights, but you can also set them on your desk and they're just kind of a cool little image um,
2: yeah, I would love to have one of those.
1: Yeah, they're pretty they're pretty nice. They're all uh, high quality. And then um I'm also working on things that like um that go on a cell phone. Uh I I um have this one product that's um I, it's hard to call uh, what what it's, it's hard to know what to call it exactly. Sometimes it's called a phone holder or a phone stand or a phone ring holder. But um they're similar to pop sockets, but they go on a phone uh-huh. and they um uh, there's enough space to put a circular image on there, so we can slap on like a uh, the rose window at the cathedral or a lot of other different um, Catholic images. Like we're gonna we're gonna put the Cairo on um, one of the products. We might put the I think my next one is gonna do the I'm gonna do the Saint Benedict uh, medal. So, but it's getting all these Catholic images everywhere. It's kind of like um, well, also, I might have
2: to be one of your first customers.
1: Yeah, that'd be good. I'm always looking for looking for a customer and feedback. So, <laughs> but uh, but and then um, yes, we're doing that. It's it ties back to a we did a podcast a while back on um, an encyclical called Via Pulchritudinus. It's called, uh, the way of beauty, and, cool. and um, it's uh it talks about sort of how um in terms of evangelizing, some people use logic. And some people, um, or people are converted by logic. Sometimes they're converted by the spirit, but also um, they can be converted by beauty. And so it's a lot harder harder for people to argue against beauty than it is for them to argue against logic. So some people are really good about just ignoring logic, but most people will respond to beauty. So um, it's kind of a, the the way of beauty is another way of uh, reaching out to the secular world and reminding Catholics of, uh, of the, the, um, uh, the sacred world. So it's kind of, it's kind of a cool.
2: I love that. And that's such a testament to how important beauty is in our faith, the artwork in our cathedrals. Oh yeah. You know.
1: And that's the, um, that reminds me of the Vatican observer had a, uh, w- uh had a post about the ugliest cathedrals in, uh, or ugliest churches in, um, Europe. So, um, it was pretty awesome. It was sort of a backhanded way of saying we need more beautiful cathedral. <laughs> my favorite was one that looked like a cube. Um, it looked like a board cube, and it was a, it was a church. And uh, I oh, thought, well, Lord. who knows? Maybe they're trying to reach out to our board brethren. You, you know, you don't know. <laughs> trying to trying to bring everybody in. So so now uh, uh, we're going to interview our buddy Mary. And uh, so how long have you known Mary?
2: I've known Mary for a little over two years, but it feels like much longer. Hmm. Um, And I would say meeting Mary along with uh, several other friends who I met around the same time through Blessed Is She, which is a uh, ministry, a Catholic ministry for women um, who are looking for female fellowship. um, It was just a, it was an answered prayer for me because I didn't really have that many um, good Catholic friends especially women. And I think we all need that support. We all need um, that fellowship and people to, to be there along our journey because it's so hard to live your faith, you know, kind of on an island, you know, just by yourself.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, and so I have met her through the Blessed Is She and we kind of instantly clicked. We went to a retreat with some other gals together and We've just been really close ever since, so it's been a complete blessing to, to meet her and to have her friendship. She's a very special person.
1: I notice uh, some of my women friends, they, they spontaneously form uh, Catholic women's groups or Catholic women's book studies. So uh, it just sort of happens. Um, guys don't do that as much. Uh, I'm in a book study, but it was started by our deacon. so
2: We uh, just naturally cluster together. We're like mushrooms.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> uh, although we do, you know, guys, we will try to get women in our book studies. Sometimes they end up as just guy book studies <laughs> or uh, our one book study. Now we have actually have some women in it now, so it's a, uh, it's gotten to be mixed, but for a while it was like four guys, uh, showing up for two year uh, about two years, uh, discussing books. So it was okay though. It was uh, nothing wrong with it. So.
2: Yeah. Men also need fellowship. I think we need more of that in the church too. It's just um, more people supporting each other along the journey. You are who your friends are.
1: Yeah, I try to, uh, um, yeah, my theory is to try to surround myself with people who are saintly. And then so, uh, you know, so God might make a mistake and pick me along with them when, uh, you know, during during the final, (laughs) but, or maybe some holiness will rub off, you know, but like my buddy Alex, he was always, uh, he's always doing, um, he's always doing charitable things. So I would, for a while I would be like, uh, let's try to compete with Alex on doing charitable things. mean, have a rivalry, you know, so, uh, that worked out for a while. So it was a good, uh, it was a good idea. But, so, all right, well, so let's, uh, uh, why don't we take a break and then we'll bring our friend Mary in here.
2: That sounds perfect.
1: Well, Hi folks, I want to let you know about a new company I've been working on called The Discerning Catholic. It's an online store, a brand, and an idea. We are working on bringing sacred images into everyday life with products such as phone wallets, phone stands, pop sockets, and traditional wall art that feature sacred images like Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mary and Jesus, the Sacred Heart, the Immaculate Heart of Mary, and the Cross. And they're all for reasonable prices so check us out at facebook.com slash the discerning catholic or our store at thediscerningcatholic.com. thanks so all right we are back now and we've been joined by our friend mary's so it's us scar patty you pronounce it yeah scar patty so um not not scar so okay scar patty uh which is italian right yeah, and I'm
3: half Irish, half Italian.
1: Oh, so see, I was thinking. I thought you said you you uh, were from New Jersey, but uh, I was watching your podcast. You said you're you lived in New York.
3: Yeah, what? I I moved here from New York. City. I was um, working on 34th Street, Herald Square um, as a makeup artist, but I was really raised in New Jersey. So I was born in Manhattan, but I was raised in New Jersey, went to school in New Jersey. Um, And then uh, after college, I lived in Brooklyn. And then I also lived in Hoboken, New Jersey, which is right across the water. And I would um, work in Manhattan, take the path train in.
1: Okay. So that wasn't crazy. You were, you, you did grow up in a, in Jersey then. Yeah. That reminds me, there was a Saturday Night Live. Uh, I always like doing the Jersey guy. Um, there was a Saturday Night Live. It was a game show where a Jersey guy has to talk to a supermodel for a minute and he, he'll win like a hundred thousand dollars, but he just can't use the phrase. What do you think? You're better than me. So, uh, <laughs> so you could say anything else though. So they're like, okay, we'll start a minute. And he's talking to this supermodel. He goes, so you uh, you see that Jets game last night? And she goes, I don't watch football. And he goes, what do you think? You're better than me? <laughs>
3: <laughs> okay, this is so funny because I was just thinking of that this song. You know that song, You Think You're Cooler Than Me? It's very old. Oh yeah, It's yeah. from the early 2000s. My friend Megan, who is also from New Jersey, used to hate that song. And it was because guys would say that to her all the time she's a she's a gorgeous blonde she looks right. like a supermodel so P, guys would from new jersey would say that to her all the time and she hated it because it's such like an aggressive thing to say to someone like it really is and it's funny because i of course i was an egomaniac at that age. I was like nineteen or something, and I was like, "Well, I do think I'm cooler than these people, <laughs> so I love this song." <laughs> Megan was like this sweet, humble person. I'm like, "I'm great. I don't care."
1: <laughs> yeah, Any time I could work in the Jersey guy, I'm uh, I'm happy. So yeah, but uh,
3: it's definitely an interesting culture. But I have to say, people give people from the Northeast a bad rap. They're actually some of the chattiest, as you can see with me people you'll ever meet everybody can talk in new york and new jersey it's not like a socializing isn't a challenge
0: yeah
3: i don't know if it's like a big family culture because most people are from like maybe it's because of immigration like most people are immigrants that are from that area and they like hang out with their families they talk a lot but like i've noticed i don't know in other parts of the country people aren't as chatty
1: yeah uh well i'm from pittsburgh myself so um yeah, I have some of that. Um yeah, my family sure likes to talk. And the further east you go, like the faster people talk in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so
0: um,
1: my uh my brother's family is in is in Reading, Pennsylvania and um yeah, that they, they talk about two to three times the speed of Pittsburgh. So and when I moved to um uh when I moved to in, uh, Indiana for grad school, I had to learn to slow down cuz people couldn't actually understand what I was saying. So and it's slow. Really? You, I mean
2: you don't talk that fast, Joe. I have been in
1: Texas for a while now.
2: So. Yeah. But,
1: but Texans do have um they have various speeds because you have your you got your slow talking Texan that are like mm-hmm. what? But then you got your Ross Perot Texarkana Texans that are like <laughs> you're like, here's DLC. So you know You, can, <laughs> you get some fast talking Texans too.
3: It's I remember oh, I sorry. went to Colorado uh For the first time I had gone West, I lived in a, I just for a summer, I spent a summer as a camp counselor in the Rockies and everybody was from the Midwest. Um, and they told me I talk like Mrs. Potato Head from the (laughs) toy story, which is like really mean. (laughs) I was horrified. And of course I didn't know, uh, they had, the the guy counselors had all the little boys run up to me and be like, don't forget your angry eyes or whatever. <laughs> and I kept being like, why are they doing that? Like, why are these kids doing that to me? And I then I found out one of the nicer guys, because it was a Catholic camp and one of the guys was becoming a priest. So he he felt like he was obligated to tell me the real deal. And he was like, well, some people think you sound like Mrs. Potato Head <laughs> from Toy Story.
1: <laughs> Um, yeah, the the um, yeah the the northeast, um it's interesting the accents because um there's a guy who he he's just sort of did this as a hobby, but he made up an accent map of the US. Um so he has little areas that have the same accent marked out as little territories. And like in Pittsburgh, the, the he has a radius around Pittsburgh of only about ten miles that have the Pittsburgh accent. And um in New England and um other parts, you know, around New York, uh, the accent areas, some of them can be, like, really tiny, like, only a mile across that have a particular accent. And um, you get out to the – but so, like, there will be just, like, hundreds of accents just in the northeast. But then you get out to, like, Texas, and, like, Houston has an accent, and Austin – he kind of says Austin has an accent, or the area, but it doesn't really. I mean, we have all sorts because we're so – so many people are um, coming in from all over the country and the world. But, yeah, um, I don't even
2: know what our accent would be. Yeah, yeah me either.
1: There's not a consistent Austin accent that I could find because uh, my friend Stephanie, she's like sixth generation. Um, she kind of has a Texas twang, but then other people that have grown up here uh, have just sound like generic Americans. They could be from the Midwest. So it um a lot of it depends, I think, on your parents. So, but it reminds me yeah. of uh. Professor Higgins in my fair lady uh, he he could place somebody within two city blocks in London by their accent
2: wow wow that's so cool <laughs> could i you uh, i've noticed that a lot of people have parents that sound super country but then they don't and i wonder if it's like a conscious effort to not to not continue the the country accent tradition like my sister-in-law her parents both sound She's from North Carolina, and her parents both sound very country, but she doesn't, so.
1: Yeah, Stephen Colbert said, you know, you notice he, uh, he claims, or he said he, he has, he calls his uh, accent just a baritone, and um, he's actually from the South, and he said he never liked the fact that in Hollywood, the shortcut for making somebody sound stupid was to give them a Southern accent. Yeah. So he intentionally got rid of his Southern accent.
2: Ah. Oh, Stephen Colbert is from the South? Yeah. That's security. kind of shocking to me. As a fellow Southerner, I did not see that coming.
3: Yeah, but you don't have a Southern accent either, Lizzie. And it's shocking to me that you're from Arkansas and Mississippi, right?
2: Right. Well, that's where I grew up. But my family, um, well, as you know, my mom is from Italy and my dad's from Chicago. But we moved away from Chicago when I was a baby. And I remember at a certain point, so I talked more like my parents, as a little kid and i remember in arkansas i had a a teacher in like first grade and she I w- and i was saying like my numbers or something and she said wait say that again And she was talking uh i said 10 and she said no no say your numbers again so i said you know one two three four five six seven eight nine ten she said ten you th- you say it like you know most kids say ten.
1: <laughs> yeah, like tin like
2: 10 and then yeah because you know over there it's real country and all that. so they say 10 they don't say 10 so I got really self-conscious I was like six years old and I was like oh my gosh I don't talk like everybody here and so
3: um, it's funny that the teacher had to point it out to you
2: I know well that's small town Arkansas for you this is also <laughs> a place where my 40 year old dad took me to kindergarten and some kid goes hey, why'd your grandpa take you to
3: school? <laughs> oh, no way, really? Yeah,
2: because, you know, I mean, back in the day in the 90s in small town Arkansas, most uh, most people had kids that are like 18 years old or 20, you know? So to be 40, you really are like a grandpa.
3: Yeah, to be fair, my parents had me. I was the last of and the surprise, too. So I, they were 36 when they had me.
2: Yeah. Mine were 36 too. Mary, were you, are you twin A or twin B?
3: I think I'm twin A cause I was born first, but okay, you're twin A. But somebody told me that they label the babies in the womb now, like it's A and B are now, like if you get an ultrasound, they'll label your babies. Oh. This is like in the eighties. Nobody, I don't think anyone labeled me and Katie until we were born um, because I think Katie should have been born first. She was the bigger twin. Um, she's always been stronger. She's always been more dominant, and sh- I've always followed her wherever she tells me to go. So, <laughs>
0: well,
2: you know, with, uh, in biblical terms, you would be like, what do they call it, the heir? And then yeah. usually it's like there's like the repeating story of like the twin bee who like steals from it. Which Bible story yeah, is that's,
1: it? trying and Abel, right? Esau
2: and Isaac, where Isaac steals Esau's and... No, no, no,
1: no, it's Jacob and Esau.
2: Okay, I'm sorry. Anybody who's (laughs)
3: listening to this, I... I, There are biblical scholars
2: over
0: here.
1: (laughs) But yeah, he, uh, Jacob, yeah, means means usurper. Oh, yeah,
2: Isaac is Abraham's kid.
1: Yeah, but yeah, Jacob means a usurper. He was usurping uh, Esau. In fact, I think they were born... When they were born, Jacob was, like, holding on to Esau's ankle... He was like yes. they were twins i didn't
3: realize
2: that yeah and esau had red hair it says that he he was like covered in red hair so yeah, I, kind of i'm really detecting a similar <laughs>
3: <laughs> history really does repeat itself i mean it's funny we uh katie uh, i had uh someone say to me that i stole katie's birthright because really we were c section i think if we had been born naturally uh if like that would have been possible katie would have been born first i would have been born second so somebody said i stole katie's birthright so i mean i guess i did not intending to but marry the usurper (laughs) yeah i was a usurper in the womb (laughs) at at one minute i beat her by one minute
1: (laughs) that reminds me um there's a book called non-campus mentis um This professor published history according to college student essay answers.
3: Oh, my gosh.
1: And one of them is uh, they're doing biblical stuff. And one kid wrote, uh, Jacob stole his brother Esau's birthmark.
3: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That's so funny.
1: I don't even know how you'd go about doing that. But, yeah.
3: I wouldn't want to know <laughs> it <was> <laughs> would want to know
2: uh, it was all because Esau was like really hungry. I mean, hunger does some things to you. I just ate I was telling Joe, I just had a whole personal pizza to myself, so
1: yeah he, uh, he he yeah, he gave up his birthright for a bunch of lent- red lentils, so which I don't know. like I don't know that I would do that. maybe like a cheeseburger or something, but <laughs> Or like Krispy Kreme, or um,
2: oh yeah.
1: So, but not not lentils. I mean, you know, that was just because he couldn't cook. So uh, Jacob was able to cook and gave him lentils.
3: See, that's what skills you got to learn how to cook. Everyone, that's the real message of the story. Is not the usurping. It's learning how to cook.
1: That reminds me. So that, that that that's a good segue into. I was watching your YouTube video on making shepherd's pie. So. uh... And for those who don't know, you have a YouTube channel and um, you, uh, um, it covers a lot, you have a variety of um, topics and I guess you say that it's, uh, it's sort of about living your best life and, um, but yeah, I, I watched your shepherd's pie uh, episode and um, I'm thinking I might try it myself today, although I don't have uh, mashed potatoes, but I do have uh, sweet potatoes. so I might make a variation of it.
3: Yeah, I've done it with sweet potatoes before, too. I've done, like, I followed every kind of diet you could imagine. Um, At one point, I was paleo, so I did it with sweet potatoes instead of white potatoes. Even though I think yeah. paleo, you can have white potatoes, too. But I was, like, really into being, like, a pure health person. So I've done it with sweet potatoes before. It's good. It's just, like, a little different because it's sweet potatoes, not white potatoes. But um, I've always been really – I guess you could say my YouTube – to me, my YouTube channel is about – like, um, for a long time, I struggled with like an eating disorder and anxiety and just really struggled with finding my way in this world and like finding my own footing. And I feel like my whole 20s was about figuring that all out for myself and getting healing from those things. And I promised myself if I ever lived the life that I had in my heart, like the the vision that I was really wanting to be living, but I wasn't, that mm-hmm. if I did that, I would share how I did it and then just share my life. And I, I feel like the beginning of the YouTube channel, you could see from when I started, it was a lot of just like how to get over depression, how to be happy single, how to because I was single when I started the YouTube channel. So it was a lot of like how-to videos. And now it's a lot more like lifestyle. I'm on Weight Watchers. um, So I share a lot of like food content. I've always loved cooking. Um, So for me, it's like, I want to show what living a happy life, like healthy, balanced life looks like. And I'm also Catholic. And I, I feel like part of the mission of the channel is, to show people that being religious and faithful is like a happy life. Like, it's not like, I don't deprive myself in any way of like living fully. I live a really, I live, I think I live a more full life than when I was a 19 year old crazy girl drinking all the time and chasing boys, you know?
1: Yeah. Well, that's St. Irenaeus, right. Said that the glory of God is a, is a, a human fully alive. Right. So.
3: Yeah. Yeah
1: yeah I often do uh I'll post photos sometimes that prove the Catholics aren't boring, and I'll be like we're at a party and I just have us like with no expression staring straight ahead so i try to um <laughs> i try to dispel the, some of the myths that are oh
3: yes i yeah. love that
1: so uh yes. in fact, one of them kind of looks like the American gothic of the farmer and the um you just need a pitchfork and uh looks like the farmer and his wife but um I love that so yeah i hear joe
2: has some pretty hopping parties
3: he does (laughs) i went to one of them and i actually have my character i was really sad i missed the petting zoo i was like so sad this joe had a party where there wasn't even just a petting zoo there was a character person and they did the cutest one of me and matt it's like right above my computer
1: yeah my thing is to try to do things at parties that other people don't do normally so and um and to kind of kind of keep the party moving. So, um, yeah, sometimes I'll start off with uh, Xbox Kinect. Uh, uh, it keeps things – it gets things going with uh, some physical exercise. But, um, but, yeah, people like the animals too. And the uh, – um, yeah, sometimes I'll have my buddy Nate come and do balloons, and he does, like, the best balloons ever. Like, not dogs. He does, like uh, – he'll do, like, an uh, octopus with bubbles coming out. Or wow. jet, jet packs, or um, if he has three days, he can do the whole Millennium Falcon with like a couple hundred balloons. Oh
3: my gosh, but, um, that's amazing!
1: Yeah, that's all he does is balloons. So it's his life.
3: That's
2: his so,
1: job. But yeah, but sometimes he's busy. Like he he gets hired for conventions and things. So
0: wow, if he's busy.
1: Then I gotta I gotta scramble for somebody else. So yeah, the the caricature lady was a uh, she was pretty fun. I remember, oh yeah, I
3: love my picture. I think it's really cute. I wouldn't say it's, I mean, characters are never like a perfect depiction of you, but I, I think it's so cute. I have it hanging right above, um, my, my computer.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, try to, i try to mix it up. Sometimes there's dancing. So, yeah. Oh yeah. But so, uh, back to Weight Watchers. Um, yeah, I did Weight Watchers years ago. Um, and, uh, I actually had my own weight loss journey a while ago where, uh, um, at one point I topped out at 345 pounds and oh, wow. over a certain, so many years I'd gotten down to 197 and it was funny, um, when I first started, uh, at one point I was at like a 280 and I'd gotten to about 250 and I was sitting around, uh, this was back when I was in, um, used to have the cathedral young adults, um, we're sitting at the, at a cafe, me and three girls in their twenties and they're all at like near their ideal weight and they want to know my secret and I'm, I'm like at 250 pounds and I'm like, okay, ladies, let me tell you how to eat. And, uh, they were all listening like with rapt attention, even though, you know, I'm still like well overweight, but um, everybody wanted to, <laughs> wanted to hear about it. But I like,
3: about oh, yeah. the
1: kids, I don't know if they still do this, but they would do uh, every five pounds. They'd be like, Ooh, can we celebrate with you? And then you get a round of applause. Um, and what I liked was uh, I took that idea and I would do is I would have parties every 10 pounds.
3: Oh, I love that.
1: Yeah, it's pretty fun because um, well, well the, the, the thing I learned is to not have a barbecue because I had a barbecue once and then I gained two pounds back. But, <laughs> um, so I occasionally will do things at like Whole Foods or some healthy place. Um, and oddly enough, everybody seems to have an issue with food even like thin people or people that seem healthy, um, everybody, and they all, they all feel the need to confess all their, their food sins.
2: You know, <laughs> my, I really feel like this is a cultural parties. thing. I really oh, yeah. feel like Americans, we have, we have a, issues with food. We have, I think American, the American culture has, um, just like an unhealthy relationship. I mean, first of all, we have a lot of food that's bad for you. And then we also are always rushed. So we don't, you know, these days have like healthy family meal times as much as we used to. Um, you know, advertisement is always pushing like really unhealthy food on us and everything. I think, cause for me, I used to, um, you know, diet like really hardcore in high school and be like obsessed about food and what I'm eating. And um, I, it was just really unhealthy. And then when I was an exchange student in France and I saw how they eat, they have their culture has a totally different relationship with food and I would see what they would eat and I'd be like, I can't believe they eat this much where they eat like cream and butter and all these, you know, they eat pastries regularly and all these things that I had so much guilt about in America But somehow they do it in like this very balanced way like they don't snack that much you know they they walk they get out they exercise um but they're not like crazy obsessive about exercise like a lot of americans are like they're they have very balanced approach to hiking and walking to the store or walking to wherever um you know they're going and um you know they would my host mom would make a fruit pie every weekend and we would sit down every Sunday and have you know a a nice slice of of like really delicious pie with some fresh cream and, and you know these are things that like before I went there I was like oh my gosh this is like all this stuff is like the forbidden fruit and it was like such a part of a balanced lifestyle but their their food is is like organic and fresh and um it really changed the way I, I see food because they're not, they don't have like this mentality of restriction and um, somehow they just have managed to have like a really healthy relationship with food and it healed me in a lot of ways. But yeah, here in America, I think we have a long way to go.
1: It reminded me of uh, Seinfeld. Uh, George was talking about how he can't eat anything anymore. <laughs> he was always trying to diet and eat healthy. And then meanwhile, he's he's doing lunch with his grandparents. He said they're eating brisket sandwiches and they're closing in on 90. So I, don't know, I don't know what's going on.
3: Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think – well, I have to say as far as like the – like that French mentality of, I think the reason why Americans are fixated on food and looking a certain way is because our culture is very dominated by images of people looking a certain way. And I think at a young age, whether I knew it or not, I made an agreement with myself that if I didn't look a certain way, or if I wasn't a size zero, then I wasn't worthy of love. And I took that with me. Um, throughout the years, and it morphed into a lot of things. I think it's like, sometimes we have these agreements that we think are fact, without even realizing that we've made a decision. We just think that's the way the world is. And I I had a cognitive behavioral therapist that really helped me um, confront beliefs that I had that were not based in fact, you know, like, uh, there are so many we everybody walks around in the world with a belief system whether they realize it or not um things they picked up from culture things they picked up from people around them their parents whatever and then they they just go about life thinking everybody feels the same way
0: yeah
3: um and that's not that's not really the truth like you are you're just designing the world to like whatever perspective you're looking at the world is is how you're seeing it and it doesn't have to be the way you've written it to be. And when I realized I, something that really helped me was actually letting myself eat whatever I needed to eat and then let my body be whatever it looked like and realize that I was lovable. Men were still attracted to me. I could still go on dates and I wasn't a size zero anymore. I actually, um, was the heaviest I had ever been because I had never let myself really be, and I think it started at puberty when my body started to change. Instead of just, I wish people would say, "Hey, it's normal. Your body shouldn't be the same size from the time you're 14 till you're 30." You know, like that's that's not normal. That's not healthy. Like just because, like we've just dis- equated thinness with health, and that's not true. Mm. And I think health is letting your body be whatever it's going to be because we all have different bodies. We were all made differently and our, our, my healthy is not your healthy. Your healthy is not my healthy, you know? Um, so me really making that agreement that I was going to let myself be whatever and see what happened really freed me to realize that I was lovable no matter what I looked like. And I was meeting great guys and having friends and living a life and I was a lot happier too. And I, and I also realized the guys that were attracted to me when I was deepest in my eating disorder were guys that were, um, I would, I, I think they, I think they saw my, I think people could probably tell that I was broken without me even letting them know. I think we all can sense those things. And I think the kind of guys that were attracted to me were maybe more controlling type of guys like guys that saw an opportunity um and that's why i'm always very leery of someone that's interested in someone at their lowest i know there's tons of women that have these great stories of fairy tale love where you know i was at my lowest and then they swooped in and saved me but i i i don't know if it's just it is my life experience but i question that you know yeah because when i was i almost died from an autoimmune disease like this is totally separate but three autoimmune diseases.
1: Yeah, I was watching I, that, uh, your video discussing that. Um,
3: yeah, I, I was really sick. I, I couldn't talk, I couldn't walk, I couldn't sit up. I started to lose my vision. I, I was totally like on my deathbed in the hospital going out. There was this guy that was like really interested in me and was pursuing me and i'm like a wounded gazelle and my twin sister pointed this out to me she's like you were like a wounded gazelle in the sahara like yeah. anyone that, that was attracted to you at that point like they had to be some kind of a predator because <laughs> why would someone want you when you were literally you couldn't i if you could hear a i could not even hold my head up i couldn't eat i couldn't hold down food like i was dying and um some
1: people want to fix and, people though so there's
3: that. Yeah, no, there is there's, that. So it's like there are good, helper. there are good people out there. They're totally good people out there. I'm not trying to uh, stereotype, but this is yeah. just my experience of um. I think there are two types of people. There are the kind of people that want to fix people and help people. I have a friend that had a love story like that with her her husband, who they're now great in a good place, but there was like an imbalance there, but. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I was attracting these guys that were not <laughs> good. <laughs> like I look back now at the time, they didn't seem that bizarre, but now I look back and I'm like, Oh yeah, that wasn't healthy.
1: That reminded me of, um, in the nineties, you know, there was the show Allie McBeal and there was a whole controversy. Oh my gosh, yeah. There was a whole controversy around the star Callista Flockhart.
2: She was so skinny.
1: She was just incredibly skinny. And I remember Saturday night live did a sketch where, um, they have Calista Flockhart, they're supposed to be Calista Flockhart, and she's just like this empty dress on a chair. <laughs> but not even a skeleton, just like this flat dress sitting on a chair. And they keep talking about how hot she looks.
3: Oh and, my uh, God.
2: That's that so was, funny. That was so the 90s. And I think that's also like Mary and I are about the same age. And I think that's what influenced us as little girls and as teenagers because it. Growing up in the 90s and early 2000s, I mean, it was like if you had one belly roll, you are nothing. Like that's kind of how it felt to girls.
3: Oh, totally. At the time. People reinforced that too. It's not it wasn't just me. I had a guy come up to me in college, and maybe this is where that like that viewpoint was. I had a guy come up to me in college and my twin sister was like, and I'm healthy and she was She was a healthy weight. She looked like a healthy, beautiful young girl. I mean, she probably was like a size two and I was a size zero. Like Katie was thin for most people's accountability. Katie was very thin. And this guy came up to me and was like, you're so much hotter than your sister. Your sister's fat. And I was horrified because I was like, I think Katie looks great. She's beautiful. She's healthy. And, and you're now it's like, you're reinforcing this belief I have that I have to be super small to be considered attractive.
0: Oh, sorry,
3: Joe. I was just going to say, there's like a whole
2: other level to that too, because you're looking at Katie and you're literally looking at like your mirror mm-hmm.
3: image in another size. And, and to be fair, Katie really, I mean, she looked great. I couldn't believe he said that to me. I was like really hurt. But, and I think the
1: one rookie mistake uh, guys should know is don't tell a sister anything the other, you don't want the other sister to hear because yeah. they're, they're always gonna tell them everything. So you don't ever do that also. Just as a logistical, you know, point. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I agree, I agree, Joe. I just, I think comparing girls to each other also is so toxic. Like, what does it matter what, like don't, don't give me, that's like such a weird compliment. I, I but it totally reinforced like all, all my negative fears. Um, Yeah.
1: It reminded me of another Saturday Night Live sketch where um, there was this guy talking about some new diet um, food that he was making, and uh, these women were asking about it, like how many calories is in that. And uh, he had some dish that was like negative fifty calories or something. And um, one girl was asking about one of the components. She goes, "No, wait. Now that one ingredient, that's a nerve gas, isn't it?" And he's like, yeah, <laughs> "Oh my gosh." Goes, "Yeah, we use a little bit of that as an appetite suppressant." Yeah. <laughs>
3: Yeah. I mean, when you think about that's in some of this food, my God.
1: <laughs> so, so yeah, I wanted to talk about also uh, to the, back to your YouTube channel, why, um, well, you talked a little bit about it. So how long have, have you been doing a YouTube channel? Um, I'm curious why you started it. I guess you mentioned, you mentioned a little bit about it, but, um,
3: um what have so
1: you got you going on on it?
3: So this is my first YouTube channel. Actually, I had another, I had, When I was really sick, when I was in college, so like way before YouTube was even a big thing, um, it was 2010 and I had found these like beauty vloggers and I was going to school for media and journalism and I actually was pitching this, um, maybe in 2011, I was pitching this executive producer of a famous talk show that is actually still on air today, um, a show of me and my twin sister doing like a travel thing. And I had like this whole marketing thing using social media, like way before any of the stuff was there. And we went through a bunch of pitch sessions and basically he, it came to a point where he was like, listen, I'm not going to do anything further until y'all have an agent. You need to get an agent. And he listed like these famous agencies. So me and Katie were like, okay, we'll go to these agencies and reach out. Well, nobody cared about us. Nobody wanted to talk to us um so so what we did was and I guess that's probably what he knew he wanted to just get rid of us and and that was his way of like putting us off with saying oh I'm not going to work with you until you have an agent so the thought was we'll start this YouTube channel and try to like build up our own base with the this these two YouTube channels and that'll help us get an agent well uh that was probably around 2012. I had just gotten out of the hospital. Actually, our first videos, I think the first video that had been uploaded on that channel, um, I was really sick at the time and it was such a disaster. I couldn't really speak. I dropped everything. It was like when I was having a good day, so I could sit up and talk. And Katie had a voice over the whole video. But that um it was all about we had two channels, it was way too much, and a fashion blog. We were doing too much. And um it was beauty and fashion on one channel, travel and cooking on another, and then um, the fashion blog, and we couldn't be consistent, and we ended up doing a lot of really cool things. I actually ended up at a executive for YouTube's house party, and we, like, became friends with this guy. Me and Katie were, like, really good at socializing and really bad at being YouTubers. So um, the whole th- – that lasted for about two years, but it was a lot of pressure, and it was a lot of work and we weren't really going anywhere because we weren't consistent with any one thing. We were too spread out. So, um, I took a few years and I really tried to think about something that I really wanted to create because having a YouTube channel and as you can imagine a podcast, it's a lot of work and you have to really love it to want to keep doing it because it's a lot of work with no recognition for the most part.
1: So the interviews, it's the editing. That's not fun. Yeah.
3: I mean, well, that's, you have to find something that is actually enjoyable for you to do to, to be consistent enough. So for me, I felt like a fraud doing beauty and makeup and it was funny because I was a makeup artist. I was actually a professional makeup artist the whole time we were doing that. um, I was a professional makeup artist in New York city and Austin. I, I was a professional makeup artist for five years, six years. So and I was actually doing really well. I was a trainer for Sephora. Like I, I did a lot, um, but I felt like a fraud for some reason. I don't know. It just didn't feel like it fit me, and so I really wanted to make sure I was putting out an authentic content that I I enjoyed making, and I love cooking. I've always loved cooking. I really am in, especially during those years, trying to get my life together, find healing from some brokenness, obviously, that I was talking about earlier, healing from an eating disorder that I struggled with for 19 years. So I took those years to really figure myself out. And then I wanted to start producing content again. I always did, um, but I just it took time for me to be ready again. And so when I finally started this YouTube channel, which I think the first video went up in 2017... Um, it was mostly just advice that I wish I had known, um, for all those years, I was struggling to get put the pieces of my life back together. I wanted to give people like advice that really helped me. And instead of looking to a million different people and listening to hours of content, just putting it pretty like in little perfect little boxes that people could just use and try and start those skills. And um, so that's really why it started and how it started. And then, um, it's morphed into what it is now, which is, I know it's not considered a good idea as far as YouTube is concerned to, um, put like vlogs and, um, how to and lifestyle and cooking and all this other stuff in, in one YouTube channel. But those are the things I love doing. That's what I like editing. That's what I get excited about making. And for me, I've. 2020 was a year of consistency for me so before that I'd put out a few videos and then there'd be a break for three months and then I put out a few more videos and there'd be another break because it's really hard when you work full-time and have a full life to do those things but
1: yeah there are um, 2020- like breaks in my joe's people podcasting like you know like you know a year or two here and there in between podcasts so it happens
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah. I mean, well, that's it. There you go. Like it, it, it's, it's a, it's a full-time hobby. That's the thing. It's like, unless you're getting paid for it, which there are people that like make their living off YouTube. But for someone like me, it's a full-time hobby and I have a full-time job and a full-time life and I'm getting married. So it's like, I'm doing a lot of things. Um, So I had to, I I love this YouTube. I can't even explain it. I just love it. I love making the videos. I love editing. I love filming. I'm excited about what I'm creating. And I and and I think although maybe that's not gonna make me famous overnight or get me a following overnight, it I can actually sustain that. It's like okay, maybe if I focus on one thing like just Weight Watcher content for an like blasted a bunch of videos that would, that would get me like quicker growth. But oh,
1: yeah, people love, people love uh, weight loss uh, stuff.
3: Exactly. And I, and I do too, and I do too. But I think I could only do that for probably three months without being like, I'm over it and then give up for another six months. And for me, I realized consistency is key. I was actually, cause sometimes it's, I think I've said this it's discouraging when you see like, I people who have posted less videos than me and they have like 70,000 subscribers and then I've posted like I think I have 175 videos up or something maybe more and I have like a (laughs) thousand but but I was actually looking last night and this is this is the best advice I can give anyone is perspective don't look at where other people are at because it'll steal your happiness. And I do this too much, even as myself, look at where you've come from. And when I look at where I've come from, I, especially when I was 26, that's when I had just gone out of the hospital. I was just able to walk and talk. That was about all I had in my life. I had no career. I hadn't finished my college degree because I had to leave college, um, because of getting sick I had no boyfriend no like I couldn't pay bills on my own I couldn't live on my own I couldn't do anything and now I have now I look at my apartment which would have been a dream to me in a gorgeous city in a beautiful place I have amazing friends like and looking, looking back to where I was, to where I am now, like you, you're always going to look ahead and say, Oh, I want this, this, and this. But when I look at where I am to where I was, that makes me so happy. And I, and I compared my numbers from last year to this year and I've doubled from all of 2019 to 2020 to October, 10 months to 12 months. I've doubled what I did in 2019 in 2020. And
1: that reminds me of uh, one of the themes you had in one of your, uh, in one of your podcasts about um, uh, small shifts in your life mm-hmm. that um, somebody pointed out it was Tony Robbins said you know like um, when they you steer a super tanker um, when they're steering them out in the ocean um, they can only change course by about six or seven feet every mile but um, but still it's like you know you, you you're sort of even if you make small turns in the super tanker, that is your life, you know, you're making changes and it's a matter of, um, you know, you've changed direction and then that you're going to keep going on that direction for years. Uh, so it's a small shift can make a big difference eventually. 100%
3: and I found that, um, and this is where faith comes into God will guide you to where you really need to grow. Because like, I remember and I have a video about this, how I made Catholic friends. I wanted to get married. I wanted to meet my husband from the time I was 22. I wanted to get meet someone and get married. Um, but I also didn't want to just marry anyone. I, I could have married a bunch of different guys. but And they were great guys. I'm not saying anything against them because they were great guys. And I'm sure they'd be great husbands to someone, but they weren't right for me. And I didn't want to, I really, I knew there was someone out there for me that God had intended. And I, and I wanted to meet them. But it's funny because I think God was kind of saying, well, you're not ready for marriage as much as you think you are. And I, I still hadn't he- healed from the eating disorder. I wasn't fully over the eating disorder until I was 28, like fully free.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, I, I still needed to get my college degree done I still need to start a career for myself not that people get married and build all that after there are plenty of people that get married and have an eating disorder and heal from the there are plenty of people who do those things but oh, I had I'm been
1: married in- friends who have zero communication ability whatsoever and uh, <laughs> they're explaining to me their communication difficulties in uh, in their marriage and I'm like I, I don't even know how you people were married I don't know <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, I, I think that was it too. Like I had been in a three-year relationship in college and it was bad. It was very toxic. And I knew that if I didn't heal my stuff, I could not, I could not do that again. I would rather be alone than be in a situation like that. And it wasn't like he was a bad guy. It, I, he also like, I was a bad person in that relationship. I wasn't, I didn't like the person I was in that relationship. Um, so I think we all know our story. I think we all know the path God has for us. So like, this is just my story, but, um, God was just leading me to little things. And I remember at one point I had gotten to a nice place in my life. I I think I was 29. I'm 33 right now. I was 29 and I was like, okay, God, let's get this show on the road. I've got the job. I've got the apartment i've got like all these things and pay my bill like i'm good i am healed from the eating disorder like when is he arriving lord i'm here (laughs) and god was like i was washing my dishes and god was like you need to make catholic friends and i was like god i just told you i want to meet a husband i don't need catholic friends because if i had all secular friends at that time which is great but they weren't exactly leading me um to holiness
1: that is a lot of, that, a lot of people go into, um, well, especially Catholic groups with the idea that they don't want to meet a friend, they want a husband or they want a wife. Um, it's very much goal-oriented as opposed, yeah. to, as opposed to like, well, let's build a Catholic ecosystem around myself and then see what kind of fish end up in that, you know, that ecosystem.
3: Which is exactly what happened to me, Joe. And it's funny because I didn't join the Catholic... I okay, this is the funniest thing. I wanted to marry a Catholic guy. I absolutely didn't think about going to Catholic groups at all. Not at all. I I don't know what I thought where I was gonna meet this Catholic guy. (laughs) I I talk about like when you talk about how blind I was. At twenty-nine years old, I wanted to meet a Catholic guy and I wasn't going to any Catholic young adult groups and because I had told myself that everyone at those groups are weirdos. And you know, like, I'm, this is and like now only, of course, only
1: about half are weirdos, you know?
3: <laughs> But which, which is funny now, like, and for perspective for those listening, don't know me, all of my friends are those people from the Catholic groups, and none of them are weirdos. <laughs> so I was like, just I had a terrible bias. That wasn't true. Um,
1: that reminds but, me, some guy said that uh, he, he, people kept telling him, oh, you should meet. Someone doing what you love, and then you'll have something in common. And he said, I've been sitting on the couch watching sports and drinking <laughs> beer, and nobody's shown up at the door, so it's not working.
3: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I might as well have been that person. I I was just, I don't know what I, I you know, I look back, and it's funny, we're so blind to, to things about ourselves until you look back, and you're like, oh, wow, I was doing a, that all wrong. Um, but yeah, so God was like, you need to make Catholic friends. So I was very actually focused on Catholic girlfriends. I wasn't trying to make Catholic guy friends. I had actually that summer started praying the rosary in May daily. And this is August when I had that thought. So I really think the rosary is powerful for the fact that it really will open you up to God's nudges more so than if you're not in a regular prayer routine, Um, because at that, at that time I was kind of just living for myself, living, I was dancing in two worlds. I was doing whatever I pleased and I was calling myself Catholic and I'd go to church when I felt like it. And that daily rosary, and it was really my twin sister who encouraged me to do it, helped me to start hearing God, like encouraging me to a better lifestyle. Cause I, I mean, compared to the people I was hanging out with, I was like an angel and that, you know, that saying you are who your friends are is, is, uh, really important because once I started making Catholic friends, I had to up-level my lifestyle altogether and it made me a better person and they all made me a better person. And then having someone to pray for you and you to pray for them, like I, I, It was, it's been so good for me. It was so positive in my life. Like I finally had friends that weren't just a good time. Cause like, I don't know. I I was like, Oh, i I like being around people that are fun, but these were girls that were fun and making me a better person. And I didn't wake up with regrets after hanging out with them. So these, this is like, why didn't I try this sooner?
1: And I'm grateful. uh, My, um, uh, you know, my secular friends might say something like, oh, life's awful, or, uh, you know, they'd, they'd sort of be whining about things, and then, um, it's always interesting having Catholic friends that say things like, you know, please pray for me. Yeah. Which, like, totally different, totally different perspective on things, and it's funny, um, <clears throat> so, uh, John Boehner, you know, was Speaker of the House, and, um, he met the Pope, and Pope Francis asked him to pray for him, you know, and later, he was just, John Boehner was just bawling, um, saying, I I can't believe this man asked me to pray for him. And uh, uh, he ended up, you know, uh, resigning, actually, Uh, I guess he got some kind of perspective out of that. But um, uh, I thought, wait, that's like Catholic 101, or like, that's a rookie Catholic thing is just ask somebody to pray for you. I don't know why he's, he was impressed by that. Like, my friends do that all the time.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess, well, the thing is, if you just don't meet people that are like that, like, it's amazing. The as I was saying with perspective, the world you live in is the world that you surround yourself with. The people you surround yourself with, the what you're doing, and if you're if you're always finding people that are the same, your life isn't going to look the same. You really have to. Your friends are a significant um, aspect of the life that you're living and what you see the world to be. And I'm yeah. so grateful that I found Catholic friends because it really did help me find just help make me make healthier habits. And I stopped going to the bars as much. I stopped getting wasted on Saturday nights. I, I really, I don't know. It really helped me. And it was such a blessing and I'm so grateful God put that on my heart. And then as you guys know, um, I met my fiance through those Catholic friends. I think I had been in the group like a year and a half so. That's why sometimes God asks you to do something that it seems like a left when you're trying to make a right, but the left actually is the shortcut to where you want to be. Yeah. Mary,
2: I'm curious, when you said that you were kind of in this place where you had all secular friends, you started praying the rosary daily, and then you had this epiphany that you needed to make Catholic friends, where along this time did confession come into play?
3: That's a good question. I'm trying to think, I don't even know when I, I I have to say at that point I I was kind of living, like I was going to church on Sundays. I was trying to make every Sunday. Um, and I was going to confession at that point before the, the friends thing. Um, but it's like confession's great, but if you're not making new habits, if you're not making better choices, it's not gonna fix everything god can wipe a give you a clean slate but it it's like when a cleaning lady comes to your house if you're a messy person and you don't stay or like learn how to be organized and clean doesn't matter if someone deep cleans your house you're gonna mess it up eventually it's like those hoarders episodes like if someone, those people like reorganize these people's houses and get it to the place where they, they can walk through their home. And then next thing, you know, if they don't heal the underlying issues that created the messiness, it's, it's just going to get messy again. Like I, I believe that we have free will because God can only do so much for us. We have to, God can give us the grace, but we have to take the action.
1: Yeah. I, I always, uh, um, I recommend confession to people partly because uh, it's, it's sort of like free therapy in a way, although people shouldn't use it as therapy, but um, <laughs> even if it's like a small, well, the thing is the very act of confessing sometimes uh, it has a I I mean, obviously there's the grace and, you know, forgiveness of sins, but also the, um, I mean, I even, you know, I tell my non-Catholic friends this, I mean, there's a, there's a massive psychological benefit to owning up uh, to owning up to your problems uh, and facing them and you know there there is the protestant idea oh i'll just pray to god uh for my for forgiveness but there's something i mean there's something very cathartic about admitting uh an issue to somebody else but yeah somebody talks about um uh catholics are always confessing and never repenting um but yeah it is it, it also is a matter of yeah like are you changing are you changing the habits that caused the sin in the first place so
3: but I mean, not to take away from confession, I mean, I I agree with you, like confession is super powerful and beautiful. Um, and I do think those graces eventually help me change too. I think being in the sacraments, you need grace to change. You need yeah. God's grace to change because without it, and as I said, with like the rosary and The confession and going to mass those those graces even probably going to mass before i started praying the rosary those graces like build upon each other but your sins build upon each other too and if you're still making the sin sinful choices that you're making and living in those sins and and you're never going to be perfect but like some some behaviors are worse than others and we all know that um and if you're surrounding yourself with people that are telling you that the sins that you're committing aren't a big deal, that that is gonna make it hard to change. It's gonna make it very hard to change. And I have plenty plenty of like secular friends still. I love them, but I think you need a mix of both. You can't you can't just go through life trying to be the only one doing right when everyone's telling you wrong is totally okay.
0: Yeah.
3: That's a very lonely place and I've been there. It's a very
2: difficult place. And it's, you know, you just can't do it alone. Not without, I mean, you can with God's grace, but it's very difficult.
1: Yeah. It reminds me of St. Francis de Sales in Introduction to the Devout Life. I mean, he talks about a lot of this, about having, um, about friendships that are basically toxic or friendships that are holy. And um, I like, he even has the idea that, um, that, even if you you um are worried about your reputation um that that's vanity, but that still could be uh if nothing else restrains you from sin worrying being vain and worrying about your reputation could actually be the last thing that stops you from sinning um, mm-hmm. so uh he kind of there's a lot of interesting psychology about that, but um
2: yeah, except I think that we live in such an upside down world now, Joe that it's like back then some of the things that people would be ashamed to do or to admit to doing as far as sin now people are proud of and they oh, yeah
1: well that's why you need a <laughs> well, that's why you need a catholic world around you that can uh, yeah they can shun you if they need to you know so
3: it's <laughs> excommunicate <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think that's and what's nice about um the community that we found is that no one is a perfect person. I think that really scares people from Christian community and Catholic community is that you will find people there that according to them have never committed a sin and that are (laughs) perfect people. And that can be very off putting, especially when you've been away from the church, like I was and wayward in many ways Um, it can be very like, well, I'm not looking to be judged. I don't want to feel like I can't relate to these people. And God brought in the right people in my life that were not judgmental, had been through similar experiences, if not the same experiences, and were earnestly seeking Christ and true friendship that they could share that with. Because I don't, I think this is a bible like there's always bible verses about light but like if you light a candle in bad conditions it's not going to stay lit but lighting a candle in a room that allows it to stay lit just illuminates it and makes it shine brighter and for me my my new friends helped create an atmosphere that it was easy for my light to shine, the light of Christ to shine within me and, and transform me.
1: It reminds me of, um, uh, you know, people that, that think they've never committed a sin. Um, there's there's some parishes I like to go to for confession, uh, because the confession line is almost non-existent. So <laughs> I figure it's, it's because they're so holy that they don't actually commit sins. So I like to go to those parishes. So,
3: No, I agree. I mean, uh, that's like, that's such like a Catholic thing to say, like (laughs) the Catholic insiders. It's like, I will travel. I'll try. I live in South Austin and I will travel to Round Rock if I need to, to get a no confession line. I'd rather, (laughs) (laughs) because sometimes they'll turn you away too, if you don't make it. It's frustrating.
1: But that's an old joke that uh, uh, one pastor was leaving a note for the next pastor who's taken over. And he said, my parish is very... Uh, They're very pious. Nobody goes to confession. So, Uh, um. So, yeah, um, it also reminded me of, uh, on the flip side, people think, oh, well, those people are all hypocrites. Like, I'm not going to that church because there's a bunch of sinners. And uh, I was like, that's like saying I'm not going to go to the hospital because there's sick people there. Yeah. It makes no sense whatsoever. Although I do, you know... I do like my, I say that I like my Pharisee uh, pew up front as opposed, I don't like sitting in the back of the church with the prostitutes and the sinners. The <laughs> worst is the tax collectors. So I don't want to be around them. Anybody who works for the IRS, I don't, they, they, should, they should be in the back.
3: <laughs> Matt and I are probably always in the back, but that's just because he and I are learning time management. Um, We're not there yet. <laughs> Only if we go to confession before mass, that's when I'm early. That's the only time I'll ever, I always, we make it on time.
1: I am amazed. Yeah. The cathedral, it felt like 90% of the congregation shows up in the last 10 minutes.
3: Oh my goodness. Okay. We're not that bad. We're not that bad. We're, 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 we're we're like, I'm like if we arrive in the parking lot at when mass starts, I feel good about that. (laughs) Like
1: (laughs) You know, I once went to a, I went to a wedding here in, in Austin where I got there an hour early because I was, it was like 40 minutes away. So just in case I had a flat or something, I wanted to get there early. I get there an hour early, like not even the bridal party is there I don't all. <laughs> That's like, so funny. And I'm like, am I at the wrong church? And then I go, um, I go to the, to the chapel nearby and there's another, there's a different wedding going on in the big chapel, but, um, like, around 10 minutes before, that's when everybody starts showing up. Um, so, I'm like, oh. yeah,
3: actually, our wedding, we're going an hour early. I think we're going, yeah, we're going an hour early. And the reason for that is, actually, I want to try and get uh, Rosary in with everyone, as uh-huh. many people as want to do it beforehand. Yeah. So, Joe, you can join our rosary group <laughs> when you show up an hour early.
1: <laughs> yeah, I gotta have something to do. I can't just be on my phone,
3: you know. Yeah.
1: Um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so um, yeah, I wanted to go back to, uh, um, yeah, you were talking about, like, uh, I saw your podcast where you were talking about your, you about near-death experience. Um, and my thing is that, uh, like, I've been in the hospital, and uh, it, the whole experience changed my faith a bit. And that's the thing is that um, when people tell me, you know, they believe, they don't believe, they're atheist, whatever, I'm like, you know, I don't really believe you know what you believe until you've been in the hospital or you've tasted mm. your mortality. Mm. And, like some people don't do that until they're 70 or 80. So I kind of do view it as like, um, you, you know, in a way you're people are fortunate if they – get a taste of their own mortality in their twenties and thirties. Um, yeah. then it helps them solidify exactly what they believe. And actually it makes them care about what they believe. Yeah. Like Dennis Miller said, you know, nobody ever found Jesus on prom night. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, things are going well, you know, people don't tend to, um, uh, desperately cling to God. Right. So, um, yeah, like,
3: they I mean, feel like they're invincible. Yeah. Yeah, I, I have to say, I mean, I'm so grateful. I think that experience made me a totally different person and um, broke through some of the noise that was in my life. I mean, I feel like that video, I look back on filming that video and I didn't do a great job of explaining everything. I think I was like a little bit long-winded. I, and it was more because it was, I mean, for a long time, it was really painful to talk about. And I had never talked about the experience publicly before um, to put on the internet. i had only told a, a few people in my entire life the whole story um, because it was a painful experience. And, you know, it's one thing to, you know, it's easy for me to tie it up in a bow now, but when I was going through it, it was like a full-on nightmare because... Awesome. The doctors told me that it was in my head that because I had a history of an eating disorder that I was um, basically making it up, making up all my, it was like depression. And I kept being like, listen, I know depression. I've been depressed before. This is not depression. I cannot get out of bed. There's like one thing I don't feel like getting out of bed. I'm sad. I don't want to get out of bed, but I physically cannot get out of bed without feeling like the world is spinning and I'm going to collapse. Like I can't even take a step. I can't walk straight. I got pulled over so many times in the period of me, like it was all in my head because I couldn't drive straight because of my equilibrium had gotten thrown off from this lack of sodium in my body. When I have Addison's disease, I have Addison's disease, celiac disease and um, hypothyroidism. So my um, sodium, part of Addison's is your sodium isn't, in balance anymore. So my equilibrium was totally off. I still don't have the balance. I used to be a cheerleader and a flyer and they'd hold me up by one foot and I'd be able to put my foot to my head and do all these tricks and all this other stuff. I, I, my balance is horrible now. Not, not, I mean it's not horrible to a normal person, but what I used to be, it, it's not even close.
0: Um,
3: But So during that time of like, it's all in my head, that was the worst part because I thought I was going crazy. And what was worse was my parents didn't believe me because they had heard from this Princeton big shot doctor that I was making things up basically. Um, So they didn't believe me either. And I didn't have anybody. And so I didn't trust myself. I thought I was going crazy. And that was the hardest part because I just think in bed and be like, I want to get out of bed. I want to live my life but I physically can't. And I'd never been that kind of person. I was actually the kind of person that like would rather not sleep um, and just stay out all night doing things and wake up and do things and like hang out and have like always do the next most exciting thing. Yeah. So it wasn't in my personality to be like that. Um,
1: Well, I was surprised the doctor that almost immediately jumped to telling you you had lupus, whereas, um, that tends to be something that's diagnosed after like a whole bunch of other things are ruled out.
3: So this, I, that was in college, the college, um, I don't know, I guess the infirmary or whatever, they had done blood tests on me and they told me that they thought I had lupus and then they sent me this doctor in Princeton and the doctor in Princeton told me that my white blood cell count was elevated, but it was all in my head. I probably just had a virus and it was like nothing was going on, but I had all these crazy, like... I collapsed on the subway. That's how it started. Yeah, I collapsed on the subway, and I thought I was having a heart attack. Um,
1: well, that's true I, also uh, <laughs> I couldn't actually believe. Like, like you were talking about how, how you had to crawl. Uh, I crawled. I touched later.
3: the stairs in the subway. It was but nasty.
1: like so. Nobody like offered to help you in any Not way. Not one
3: person. Not one person. It was New York. <laughs> I mean, I you they could have thought I was the drug addict. I don't know. I mean I was well dressed, so I I you don't know. I people don't really that's okay. So, so this is the one thing about New York, people are trying to go places, okay? Don't yeah. try to slow them down when you're trying they're trying to go somewhere. Um yeah, I was literally crawling out of the subway. Um that that to me, talk about, you were just like in survival mode. My ears, my heart was beating so loud. I could, that's all I could hear in my ears. And I, um, my aunt and uncle, God bless them. They're such good people. Like they took such good care of me. I have, my parents lived in Florida. My aunt and uncle lived in Brooklyn I was living with them at that time. And, um, they picked me up from the subway and they, my uncle's a chef. So he just immediately assumed that I hadn't eaten enough that day. Oh, yeah, so he's like trying that. to like, for, he had made me like, uh, he made me gluten-free pasta from scratch and, um, what's that shrimp scampi? He made me shrimp scampi. Like who makes someone shrimp scampi as like an emergency meal? He's trying to force feed me shrimp scampi. And I'm like, I ate already. That's not what the problem is. And my aunt gave me orange juice and I drank that and I passed out and I slept for 15 hours, but it made the, the heart pounding and the, the horrible, like slipping away feeling that I was getting stop. And I I don't know what that was still to this day. I don't know if I was just having like a really bad drop in low blood sugar. That's another thing that's part of Addison's. Um, But orange juice seemed to really help in the beginning as like a Band-Aid for those symptoms because it it was happening more and more often, but I knew what that felt like. So I would drink orange juice and I'd be okay.
1: Well, the one thing that bothers me about doctors also is if they say, oh, it's just even if it was depression or anxiety, it's not just depression or just anxiety. Like, that's actually an actual medical problem. I mean, it's a psychological problem, and a in so, I mean, sometimes it's a, um, it's a you know imbalance in 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 um, chemicals, but and sometimes it's a it's something, else, but it's not a just uh, sort yeah. of right? like and also there you know there's a. I mean, and many medical professional professionals under, I mean, they understand the tie between the medical and the psychological. Um, so, that you know, it's not, it's not just anything. Um, a lot of times though, it doesn't fit into whatever category they specialize in. So any, anything outside of there is just sort of um, nebulous, you know?
3: Yeah. I think that was it. I think he saw me as a young person. I was only 23 and that, I had all an eating disorder history, even though at that time I wasn't active. So although I had an eating disorder for 19 years, I didn't have it always, super, it wasn't always like really active. Um, and it also manifested itself in a lot of different ways. Like um, during the time I was sick, I wasn't actually symptomatic at all, mostly because all my energy was trying to be kept alive. It's amazing when when you're dying, it's like you I don't know. At least in my experience, I I wasn't thinking about anything but trying to stay alive and trying to figure out what was going on with me. Yeah. Um, I got to the point by that summer, so that was the fall. The f- I collapsed in the summer on the subway, and then by the fall, that's when my symptoms started getting worse. And then by the spring, I couldn't walk anymore, um, and I and I wasn't even able to like make it to my classes. I I felt like I was going to collapse every time I try to walk at all. And then it got to the point where I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. I just, and then I just, I survived. It's so weird. I couldn't hold down food. It first started that I couldn't drink alcohol. I would immediately get sick from any kind of alcohol. And then it escalated to any kind of food. And the only thing I, that I craved, which is so weird, because I had never been a candy person was all I wanted was Starburst and Gatorade and that was how I survived that 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 year. If I hadn't eaten those things, I would have
2: electrolytes.
3: Yeah, I think I needed sugar and exactly. So all I wanted was Star Wars and Gatorade. And um that's what kept me alive. God bless my older sister. I moved in with her because the place I was living with college roommates had gotten robbed. And that was a blessing in disguise too, because that's what made me leave there. And had I not left there, it would have I think it would have been way worse because I I couldn't take care of myself anymore. Um, so my sister would buy me literally like um, Costco bags of Starburst, and I would literally lay in bed and open this. I had I literally was in a bed covered in Starburst wrappers. Like it was like really when you look when I look back, I'm like that was really dark. That was a dark time. But I I was like. I now, at that point, knew that it couldn't have all been in my head. Like I still wrestled it back and forth, but I was like, "There is no way in hell I would choose this life." Okay, and I can leave. Like- <laughs> it was
1: a Edgar, to- Edgar Allan Poe um, book about um, where he-, he said he was a baby, and when he was a baby, um, he wasn't thriving, and nothing that anybody gave him would work, um, and he was getting really ill. And one of his nurses decided to just give him alcohol. And all of a sudden, yeah. he just started thriving and just being as healthy as could be from drinking alcohol as a baby.
3: Oh. I wonder how <laughs> what that He never
2: it, had a chance. It,
1: it was a fiction, fictional short story.
3: Oh, it didn't oh, actually okay. happen. I was like, how did that happen? <laughs> I know, I'm like, didn't they die of, like, liver failure at, like, three from all the alcohol that he was <laughs> yeah,
1: consuming? Yeah, so, but no, he did. Uh, in fact, I think he turned but, um, into some kind of blue creature, so.
2: Oh,
3: okay. Now I understand. Yeah, it was like a story. Okay, I thought that was literally his life, because wasn't he an alcoholic?
1: No, although um, there was, uh, I had Indian friends that told me about gripe water. Um, you give it to a baby when they're griping, and I, I think in some cases it has some alcohol in it. Uh, I've heard
2: of people putting whiskey on the gums of teething yeah, babies.
1: Yeah. yeah, so they use a little bit of alcohol on the babies, yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> that's crazy. That's
1: what you were talking about, Uh, Oh no,
3: I don't even remember. Oh, basically my, uh, the starburst, my starburst bed, my covered in starburst. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I went to the hospital and then basically what happened was I had this stroke and I lost feeling in one side of my body. And then I threw up all over myself. It was a good time. It was really just a party at that point. This was in August of, um, the sec, the full, Now it's a little over a year that I've been sick Um, and my parents realized that I need to move in with them. So I flew to Florida and I moved to Florida and um, we found this other doctor who finally was like, I couldn't stop throwing up one night and I hadn't eaten anything and I was really scared because I hadn't eaten anything in days at that point. And I couldn't. You were
2: in adrenal crisis.
3: Yeah. So that doctor was like, I was like, mom and dad, I got to go to the hospital. And I love my parents. They're so funny. Like they were, God bless them. I think they couldn't process what was happening. My parents were having a dinner party and they were like, do you have to go now? And I was like, I have not stopped throwing up all day. And I am like, this is it guys. This is like, (laughs) not, this is the, this is, it's happening. Like this is, this is what it is. So they took me to the hospital and I stayed there until the day after Thanksgiving. So I was probably like, Um, laid out October. And um, they gave me every test you could think of. And I was, girl was on her way out. I, my grandma tried to feed me um, because I I wasn't eating. And my grandma tried to feed me a fruit cup and she had to break it up because I couldn't, It was too much energy. And even the broken up fruit cup was so much energy that I fell asleep because I couldn't I couldn't even chew. Like I couldn't even consume food. It was too much for my body to um, process because I had no more energy. Like everything had been taken. So I was sleeping a lot and I wasn't awake very often. And um, my twin sister came over and we were watching wedding videos because those always put me in a good mood. And during this whole time, I really tried to stay positive because I had heard that I, they thought I had brain cancer at one point because I had really bad migraines during this season and so I had decided that if it was cancer people who had a positive outlook were the ones that normally survived like there's statistics that show if you're positive you're more likely to live in a, through a health crisis um, So I was like I'm gonna be positive <laughs> I'm gonna I read like a lot of books that were uplifting I, I had been really just like I'm gonna live I'm gonna live, I'm gonna live. And we were watching this wedding video and it was the first time I had come to grips with the fact that I was dying. And I broke down crying and I was like, I'm not gonna get married. Even talking about it now really makes me emotional because I mean, to really realize you're gonna die is like something very powerful. I can't explain it any other way. And
1: I mean, in which, that moment, side, you don't have to worry about wedding planning, though.
3: <laughs> I, know. I know. Right. Well, actually, I'm, I'm very much enjoying it now this many years later I, that I actually am, which is such an amazing thing. Uh, so, yeah, I it really hit me. And I it was the first time I had realized and accepted that I was going to die. And um, God just came in, came in and like a flood, like a light it was really intense. It was a full light. I felt this warmth all over me. I felt God come over me and say, you're going to live and everything you've ever wanted is going to come to pass. And I remember being like everything and God just, it wasn't a picture. It wasn't a movie. He showed my heart. I don't know how to explain it any other way. He just showed me, that it was all going to happen. All these things that I had imagined in my life to become, it was going to happen and I was going to live. And the next day they figured out what was wrong with me. They pumped me with steroids and I was screaming like, I was like, I'm alive. God healed me. My dad was calling me Lazarus. I was like, I'm alive. And I could sit up, I could talk. I, I was eating. Like I ate so much. I gained 16 pounds in two weeks. Okay. I ate, like, because I hadn't been able to eat. So I ate, like, as if as if I had never eaten before. <laughs> and it's really just, like, a, a miracle when I think back on like, – because I could have easily died. People die from being undiagnosed all the time. Like, people – I I could have died. And sometimes I'll hear a story where a young person died from, like, an undiagnosed thing that was, like, very unexpected. And I think, wow – It's amazing that I didn't die. Like it's, it really is because I think I probably had a day left in me to be alive. And they, they found at the nick of time, I had such low blood pressure that they could not believe what they were reading. Like the doctors would always, they were really worried about my blood pressure because it was so low and, um, praise God. I mean, I, and, and. I'm now planning my wedding. Uh, how many years later, what seven years later, I'm planning my wedding and I'm getting married. So it's just, it's amazing. Like even now it's just such a good thing to me. It's, I'm so grateful.
1: Yeah. I often think about, um, yeah, the times, uh, some people call it, what is it being hit, hit being hit with a two by four upside the head by an angel or something like that. But, um, mm-hmm. I, I think about like the, um, you know, uh, St. Paul being knocked off his horse, blind, on the road to Damascus, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, yeah, I've had, um, I've had some some ex- similar experiences of, uh, yeah, being being struck off my horse to, to the point where I tell God, I'm like, you know what, I'm good, God, I'm, you know, I got the message, I'm no more, no more of those needed.
3: <laughs> you know, it's so funny that you say that. I was telling this guy. On a date one time, I was like, I really believe, and this is after I had had the near-death experience, God gives you a lot of opportunities to wake up in your life and make good choices. And he can do it like a gentle whisper, like he did with me, making Catholic friends, like you need to make Catholic friends. Or if, like, he he does it in the whisper, but if you don't hear the whisper, he'll get louder and louder and louder and try to create opportunities for you to wake up. And I said, I used to learn lessons by getting hit by a bus. A horrible thing would have to happen for God to tell me, hey, I'm trying to tell you something. Um, And then, but I, I could have just heard the whisper, but I... I ignored, I ignored, I ignored till God was literally like, I have to knock you down to pay attention. And I, after that experience, after my near death experience was like, I'm going to listen to God. And I sometimes had to hear it like a shout, but I never had to get hit by another bus. Praise God. Let's hope that I don't need another one. I really hope that I, I think I'm done with those buses. I think I want to, I want to get the whispers and you have to make the time. You have to, you have to really try to stay close to God, because that's the only way you'll hear the whisper.
0: Yeah.
1: Well, cool. cool. Um, um, amazing stories. I knew this would be uh, an interesting, an interesting interview. And, um, uh, yeah. And I, I keep, I look forward to more, uh, I got to try out your shepherd's pie uh, recipe. Uh, and, um, and some of the other ones I like the, uh, you have the, um, uh, you have the idea that I, I've had of substituting cauliflower, in uh into
3: recipes some is good some is not i didn't love the risotto i made but if i had used ricotta um instead of fat-free cream cheese it would have been much better and i've done it the other way and it's it is much better you just have to i'm sorry
2: Fat-free cream cheese sounds like an abomination.
3: Let me tell you. Actually, it's not that bad in certain <laughs> things, but you have to buy a good brand because I make this Southwest stew or whatever. It's like a creamy, yummy um, Southwest like, soup, and I like soup extra thick, and it came out really good with this one, uh, the Walmart fat-free cream cheese, but then I made the eight it again with an HEB one and it never melted into the sauce and it came out really bad so Mm -hmm. you got to be careful with what you're buying too
1: I've learned cauliflower you can um you can kind of make something that seems like mashed potatoes with it but Mm -hmm. you use enough cheese and cream
2: (laughs) oh that sounds delicious I'll take that thank you (laughs) yeah I mean
1: cauliflower so it's you know um there's that
0: Joe the Trader
3: Joe's um, the Trader Joe's cauliflower gnocchi is actually I think is delicious. You just have to prepare it right. It'll get really soggy if you make it in a pan, but if you make it in the oven, it'll stay firm. And then if you cover it in sauce and cheese, let me tell you, one of my favorite things.
1: That reminds me of the Simpsons. They have Trader Joe's, but it's called Swapper Jacks.
3: Swopper Jacks.
1: Swapper <laughs> Jacks. <laughs>
3: Jack's. That's so- funny.
1: And uh, Mo goes in there, and he sees all these products he's never seen before. He goes, "Paper." He was like, "Paper uh, or toilet paper? What?" And then he goes, "Potato chips?" Huh.
3: <laughs> That's funny. That's really funny.
1: Well, cool. Well, it was a it was a fun interview. I'm glad we glad we had you on, and. Well, uh, and your, your YouTube channel again is, I mean, it's, uh, Mary Scarpati, right? or Scar- mm-hmm.
3: It's my name. Mm-hmm.
1: It doesn't, they don't have to look for a, a, a crazy, uh, a crazy title. And no. so we'll, we'll keep in touch with you there. I'll put a, uh, we'll put a link to your YouTube on my, uh, when I post the, the podcast. So, and thank you so
3: much, Joe. Thanks for having me. This was so fun.
1: All right. And, uh, yep. And we'll be in touch and we'll take a break.
0: All right.
1: okay. Bye Okay folks, that's the show for this week I'd like to thank my guest Mary Scarpetti for joining us And a thank you to my friend Lizzie Dunn For sitting in his co-host And another big thank you to my announcer David Brant And thank you all for joining us for a few miles In our walk with God This is Joe Geisler saying good night and God bless From Austin, Texas And we'll
0: have a lot of Be closer to the Lord Just chill out now with Josephine Wolf.